Hey, travel bosses, I'm excited to bring you this week's sponsor, Chipstreak, the smarter travel search. What I love about Chipstreak is the ability to search by personal preferences, such as preferring red-eye flights only or only wanting live flat seats. So the next time you need to book a flight, check out tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey guys, this is Johnny and welcome to episode 150 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Sean Dalton, travel photographer. Hey Johnny, very great to be here today. Dude, I'm excited that we, I'm, we finally, after 150 episodes, have a, has, we have a photographer on. I, I'm, I find that so hard to believe. I mean, so many of the Nomad community are photographers. It's crazy that there hasn't been one on the podcast. But you know, number 150, that's pretty cool to be the first photographer on here. Yeah, you know what? I guess there's a whole genre of travel photographers. I mean, you see them all over Instagram. You see them doing cool stuff. But I don't know if I meet that many in Chiang Mai. Like, I, like when I think of travel photographer in Chiang Mai, I think of, of you versus like other people I might see them travel through sometimes. But it's do you, do you think it's more of a digital nomad thing or on the other side of, of things like the backpacker, traveler kind of kind of thing? Um, I think, you know, a lot of digital nomads you know, might consider themselves travel photographers for sure. But I think the real travel photographers, like the guys that work for Nat Geo and stuff, like, yeah, you don't see them in Chiang Mai. You see them, you know, in all corners of the world doing crazy stuff, taking really cool pictures. And um, yeah, I don't think they really float by here too much. But you know what? There's a lot of other people in the community that take really good pictures as well. So, Do you feel like things have changed a lot since, you know, iPhones started getting so good where now everyone claims they're a travel photographer or everyone has an instagram you know and i think most people now with okay skills like me can take pretty decent photos so it do you think it's like it's forced child photographers to step it up even more or do you think it's just completely different yeah for sure i mean i think like you said cameras have forgotten insane nowadays the iphone 7 is is crazy it has a 1.8 aperture which is you know that's a that's a decent lens for a little phone like that um, and standards have, have really increased for professional photographers and travel photographers alike. Um, I think, you know, yeah, you can take good photos with, with any kind of camera that you have, but there, there's still a, a very big divide between what is professional and what is, you know, not professional. I think when it comes to professional photography, it's more than just taking a picture of the scene. It's thinking about the complex lighting situation. It's putting together a story, you know, telling a story behind the lens. And I think that's one of the things that a photographer has to do. And uh, however, definitely it's been the, the, the increase in cameras and all these, all these really nice cameras for the consumer market has definitely pushed photographers to the brink. And um, a lot of people would argue that, you know, photography is a dying trade, but a lot of people wouldn't because of those things that I mentioned earlier. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, I definitely think that if you kept your same equipment from you know five or ten years ago, and iPhones have caught up, uh, or if you just didn't you know progress your own skill and you were just like a very mediocre photographer, yeah, you know you probably wouldn't be be able to make a full time living from it. You probably wouldn't get any extra gigs. Maybe you wouldn't even get that many Instagram likes. <laughs> but you know the fact that you take it as a serious trade and as an art, you know it. You're like looking at your Instagram versus looking at someone with an iPhone like mine. You can you can tell it's completely different. Yeah, and I think that goes back to that that style, that having that that constant style that you have, and and constantly searching and evolving for new styles. And you know, ever since I came to Thailand, I've been surrounded by this this great Thai photographic community, and I've learned so much from them. And I think it's really helped me kind of hone my style, my style, and things that I like in my photos, um, which a lot of other people. They don't have that style. They don't take enough pictures to really know what they want to do and know what they want to focus on to have that consistency in their Instagram feed or consistency in their portfolio. Yeah, I can see that. So I'm pulling up your Instagram right now. I'm, I'm assuming it's Sean Dalt. 
D-A-L-T. Sean Dalt, yeah, S-E-A-N-D-A-L-T. <laughs> so I knew I knew it was you because even without opening the photo, I saw a bunch of Japanese words. <laughs> and even though you're a white guy, I know how much how much you love Japan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do love Japan. Um, I worked there for for about three months, and uh, it didn't start from an anime addiction. I don't I don't like anime, but. Uh, like a lot so of other white guys, like <laughs> exactly <laughs> hentai. Yeah, I have this thing, you know. But uh, yeah, Japan's great, and I love Japanese art. So going there and kind of capturing Japan through my lens, through my style, is something I love to do. I love it, and, and just so everyone's clear, Charlotte's joking, joking about the hentai. <laughs> <laughs> but so I'm looking at your Instagram right now. So if you guys want to follow along, kind of see the differences, Sean Dalt uh, at Instagram, and then compared to mine, Johnny FDK. I think I take much better photos than most people. Like I, I really like doing it. I've been, you know, I've been taking photos, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 years and I, I love it. But you can tell if you if you open them up side by side, you have the composition, you you're like thinking about the lighting, you're thinking about telling a story. Like, for example, there's a guy pouring some coffee <laughs> and I know I have photos of me drinking coffee, <laughs> but it's different. Like yours I can tell like there's just probably a story behind this. Yeah, yeah, I like to kind of paint a picture through my photo. So like, yeah, it's just a guy pouring coffee, but it's the lighting and the mood and, and what he's wearing. It kind of presents this mood and this idea of what you think that coffee shop might look like if you were to actually go there. And I really like doing that. So. I like it. So I am curious, like, well, first thing, I actually think that most people most people that are a, you know, location-dependent entrepreneur or digital nomad, we actually don't value professional photos as much as we should. And... I, that was actually one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is kind of just kind of remind people. And I, you know, I always give you a shout out at like the Nomad Coffee Clubs and on, on uh, the Nomad Summit, which you were the photographer for, because I really think that it's if you don't if people don't think about it, let's say they have an event, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, like for example, the Nomad Summit, we had volunteer photographers the last two years, and the photos were okay. Like some of them were pretty good, some of them were okay, and this year we're like. The theme is leveling up. We got to hire someone that's actually a professional and it's really stepped it up. You know, I think even though 100% of people in that audience had a smartphone and collectively they took enough photos to have, you know, a full album capture the day, just like at a wedding, sometimes people are tempted just to have hashtag, you know, Johnny's wedding and have everyone put their own photos up and not hire a photographer. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah, I think that always sounds like a great idea. Like, yeah, let's just use a hashtag. and But it never works out that way. You know, as human beings, we are naturally driven to things that look visually attractive to us. And I've had a lot of clients, this is something that I was unaware of, was the importance of such a, having such a good profile picture on, say, like Upwork or even Facebook. I mean, if you have a picture and people look at that picture and they're like, that guy looks like kind of like a douche or something like that, it's really going to hinder your chances of being hired. If you can express that mood in your photo, your personality or what you want your personality to to look like in a photo, you can you can see so much more business and and that that speaks for products as well. I, I think that's kind of established in the in the product designing community. They value good photos, but um, for humans and for portraiture, business portraiture, it's so important and I've had clients come to me and say, "Dude, I've gotten so much more work since I've had my portrait's taken from you and it was so easy. Like, why didn't I do this, you know, five years ago? Yeah, and, and I think that's really cool. And obviously, not all of you guys are going to be able to hire Sean because he's not in the same country as you guys. But I want you guys to kind of just drill in your head that it's worth it to have at least one set of professional photos, especially if you're doing something online, especially when you be showing your face somewhere. But, or, you know, even on the Upwork profile. Yeah, definitely. Anywhere. I mean, LinkedIn, Upwork, Facebook, Tinder. Tinder's a big one now. A lot of people are hiring me for that. I mean, having a good dating photo and and the online dating world has taken over. I mean, it's everyone uses it now. You can you can read that book, Modern Romance, by Aziz Ansari. He talks about how online dating has like taken over among the younger generations. So yeah, I can definitely see that. It's funny that I still remember. You know, it wasn't that long ago. It was weird to meet someone online. You know, especially for a date. They're like, "What you met online?" <laughs> and now it's it's almost weird if you were like, "Oh yeah, we met at a coffee shop." Wow, that's so genuine. I, I want no, that. I actually think people were almost like, "What? Like that's he must be a freak." If you're talking to you, you're just talking to strangers at yeah, a coffee yeah, shop. Yeah. So I like that. So yeah, definitely. If if you guys are single, or gals, if you're single, check your Instagram and I mean check check your Tinder and be like, 
could I improve this? And yeah. chances are you probably could. And if you can get, I think I think of it this way, right? It's ROI. If I can get one more date, you know, uh, with somebody that I really liked and that could maybe end up being my next girlfriend or my, my next soulmate because I spent a couple hundred bucks in a day yeah. taking great photos instead of having, you know, some crappy photos of me like out drinking at a bar with friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it'd be worth it. And and those those photo shoots are way more fun too because it's not like a business shoot where you have to get everything perfect. It's it's more of like really presenting that theme, that mood. So like taking somebody to a cafe and making them just look super cool or something like that. And unfortunately, Tinder is so based on photos, you know, you don't want it to be, but somebody will swipe you left before they even open your profile. So if yeah. you don't have that picture that grabs their attention, yeah. you know? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. So speaking of tin, you know, Tinder, do you, do you have any like recommendations on what, you know, I guess you get five photos. What yeah, are like yeah. the type of photos that you like to take? Oh, this is great. So, um, there's different, like they, they've done studies on this kind of stuff, right? So for girls, they want to see smiling, kind of maybe the cameras above them, making them look smaller. For men, you know, shooting from below, uh, making them look taller. Typically having a, a no smile is good. For men, uh, I think one of the most highest ranking photos is them with a dog. So for me, I, I stepped it up a little bit. I got a baby monkey on mine that I found in China. So we have, I have a picture of a baby monkey. Um, some other photos that are that are really good, successful for Tinder are kind of showing a lot of the background. A lot of people will take really tight headshots for, for Tinder. And that's that's really not something that a lot of people want to see. Yeah, they can see you, but they want they want a reason to like you other than your face, right? Other than just kind of what you look like and having you in a scene that that kind of elevates your status or something like that. I can definitely see that because maybe they can get to know a little bit of your personality based on the background where you've sure. traveled or like things you do. Yeah. Another theory I have could be that if the the, the photo is zoomed in, it's your face, they already see what you look like before they click your yeah. profile versus if there's more background, mm. they might have to click in. Therefore, First off, they're a little bit more invested. They probably look at your other photos. And second, they may actually read your bio. Yeah. And some people have other qualities. Maybe they're not like, you know, it's not the most handsome guy in the world, but he's got really good style or something like that. And you want to show that off, you know, he's got, he's got great arms. He's hitting the gym or something like that. You know, there's other parts of people that you gotta, you gotta emphasize. Okay. I like it. So how did you get into this? I mean, like you're from San Jose, California originally. What is kind of like your background, your story? Yeah. So, uh, I've been shooting... I've been shooting for a long, long time. Uh, when I was young, I uh, my, my father passed away at a young age when I was 12, and I kind of went into this this depression where I was playing video games like crazy, and then I uh, started playing football, and then I, I got a camera right around the same time, and I think both of those things kind of helped me grow out of that slump that I was in at the age of 12, 13, 14. Um, I remember taking my camera, and I, I couldn't drive yet, so I'd make my mom drive me out to like San Francisco or like out to the countryside so I can take landscapes. And you know, the, the photos were shit, but I was experimenting with my DSLR. I was, I was shooting, you know, changing the ISOs and the aperture and seeing how everything affects everything and the lighting and the color and the focus. And um, from there, I just, I just kept shooting, you know. And I continued. I went to college. I played football in college, and it was always just a hobby for me. Um, when I went to graduate school, I started shooting professionally on the side to make some extra money for portraits and started off slow and it, and it kind of grew from there. But, you know, I was, I was studying for my master's in public health and I wanted to pursue that. So I finished my master's and I moved out here to Chiang Mai, Thailand about six, seven months ago. And um, I was working for this NGO and, you know, the, the, the nine to five just kind of got to me and I had been traveling in China uh, for about three months before I came here and, and I was doing a lot of travel photography and I was getting hits and people were featuring me in their blogs. And um, I guess it just kind of like took off once I, once I finished graduate school. And uh, when I got out to Chiang Mai, there was just so much need for, for photography services. And um, I felt like the job that I was doing wasn't really matching with my personality. So I ended up finishing that, that job. Uh, it, was, it was a paid internship. So I fade that, finished that slightly early. And then I kind of took over doing photography full time. And now it's, it seems almost more than full time. I'm doing it so much. So that's cool. So you're able to make enough money just doing travel photography and I'm assuming portrait shots as well mm-hmm. to be able to just continue traveling and you don't have to go back and get a normal job. Yeah, I, I make I make enough money to travel a region. I shoot in a, in a few different countries around Asia. I've shot in Vietnam. I've shot in Japan. I've shot in Malaysia. So uh, I've done shoots there and I do a lot of shoots in Chiang Mai. And yeah, I make enough money to kind of 
do my thing here, upgrade my camera when I need to. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a business, you know, and I have to deal with that. And that's been one of the more difficult things of the, of, you know, living out here and, and making money doing that. But, um, it's something I really enjoy that challenge. I think that's cool. Uh, so when you travel to these other countries like Vietnam or, mm-hmm. or uh, China or Japan, is your goal, like how do you set up um, the photos you're going to take before you get there? Is it, you know, like are you going to have paid gigs before you go or do you just show up and then sh- and figure it out? Uh, typically the paid gigs go, uh, come bef- before I go. Yeah, I'll, I'll show up sometimes and um, there'll just be an opportunity and I'll meet somebody and, and they'll see my Instagram and they'll say, wow, like you're really good. Can I hire you for this? And I'll say, sure. But typically it's uh, set up before time because it's hard to just go there and find work on a, sh- on a short period of time if I'm not going to be there for, for such a long period of time. So Okay. So the way that I first met you and also kind of heard about you, but also saw you like a demonstration of your skills. You started coming by the Nomad Coffee Club meetups, which for you guys at home, it's it's our free uh, weekly meetup in Chiang Mai where there's a different guest speaker every week. And it's kind of a way for people to get to know each other over coffee. And Sean just shows up with this camera, just starts snapping, you know, beautiful photos and posting the group. Never asked for anything. Never, you know, he's never like marketing himself too hard. It's just, he's like, oh, you know, here's some photos I took. And we are like, wow, this is like a big step up then from the, you know, the photos that I take on, you know, when I'm there. And from, I think from that point on, you know, point on, like everyone, they got to know you, they can see your works, they, they can see your skill level, uh, but they also, you know, trusted you because you're, you know, you didn't show up like as this hardcore salesman, you just showed up and you gave free, you know, you gave value first. So I think that was a great strategy that, that you did. And is that something that you do normally, like when you go to different cities? Yeah, I think that's such a great way to meet people and for them to see who you are and your identity. You know, I'm myself when I'm taking photos. I'm confident. Um, I'm aware. I'm in the moment. And I really, that's just who I am. And I love being behind the camera. So when I go to the coffee club and I'm holding my camera and I'm taking photos of people, which I love to do. I love to, to walk around and take photos and, and see how the light hits on people's faces and and meet them at the same time. And I think it's been a really good way for me to get to know the community and for them to kind of know my true personality, which I think is really, really great. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. So for everyone listening at home, if you guys want to get started, uh, you know, as a full-time photographer, but maybe it's just a hobby right now, do something like Sean did, or find like a local meetup and just show up and just, you know, volunteer to take photos, post it in the group. And if people like it, you will know. I mean, I'm sure people, even without you asking, people are hitting you up saying, oh, these are great shots, you know, uh, can I hire you? Do you do portraits or do you do events, whatever it is? Yeah. I mean, like any other trade, you know, like writers do the same thing when you're first starting off. Uh, a lot of the time you're going to do, you know, free gigs because for you, it's a win-win. You're learning during the shoot and you're providing free photos and, and they'll provide you with marketing and it's a learning process and it takes time, but, you know, shoot for your family and friends, shoot for events, but just know that once you get good enough, you know, you're not working for free anymore and your your time is worth something. So... I, I think that's a great point because I think a lot of people get stuck in that mode where they are afraid to ask for money or ask for what they're worth because it's one of those things where like it's almost I mean I guess I, I almost think of it as like a, a band or an artist you know because there are always going to be people willing to do it for free you might be afraid to ask the restaurant mm-hmm. to pay you or the gig to pay you where you know there's other people saying like you know I just want to the exposure on the practice I want to sell my CDs or whatever it is yeah but at a certain point, the restaurant owner or the, you know, like whoever is kind of running that that event, at a certain point, they'd rather have consistency and someone that they know is good and pay for that than to try to get free stuff. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of photographers out there and they call themselves photographers. You know, other people might not call them photographers, but there's a lot of people out there willing to work for free. Um that have been doing it for a long time and they've just never taken off. Like they don't have it, you know, within them, they can't really take it up to the next level. And if you feel like you're at that level after you've done some free gigs, by all means charge money, you know, it's, you have to let them understand that you're going to provide them with quality. You're going to provide them with value. That's going to help their business and, and save their time. And I almost feel like because you're getting paid for it, it's, you know, you're like, then you just like pro professional mode is on versus, if you know you have some volunteers come like I mean, for example like this year like we didn't have that many uh volunteers but 
our first year, the Nomad Summit, I think it was in 2015, because it was, you know, our first year, we had a, we had zero, literally zero budget. We were like, you know, we were only having volunteers. And most of them would take, you know, maybe 10 to 20 photos and then they would, you know, be an attendee the rest of the day because they're not getting paid for it. And I don't expect them to, you know, be on their feet for eight hours a day taking photos if they're not being paid for it. Versus this year, I was like, you know, like, I know if you are the official photographer, then I know I can expect you to, first off, like pre-plan, you know, like have enough memory on your, you know, on your, on your camera, have enough battery and like know, that, you know, like know that you are there to do a job, even though you could have fun still, but like know that you are there to do a job. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when, when, it, when it's paid, the job comes first. And that whole time I was on my feet, the whole eight hours at the summit, I was on my feet making sure I get the same shots for every speaker and, and diversifying the, the types of shots and trying to get as many people uh, in the crowd on camera as I could. So definitely. Yeah. And if you guys want a visual example, because I know it's easier, go on Instagram, search for hashtag Nomad Summit. And without even clicking in, I bet you, oh, I'm willing to bet anyone any money that you can tell which ones are the pro shots and which ones are like, you know, or just guests, um, attendees posting. And I'm not saying the, I don't appreciate the attendee photos because I think it adds a great element, kind of just a contrast, but also just a more variety of shots. You can see people's kind of like personal, personal touches. But even without clicking in, you can kind of just look at it and be like, okay, like these are obviously the professional ones. These are obviously, you know, someone just snapping a quick photo and tagging it. Yeah, I mean... There's definitely room for those photos. I think they're great, but there's a there's a contrast, like you said, and like we talked about earlier, between you know what is professional, why is it professional, and what is amateur, and why is it amateur. So when you say you get paid for travel photography, what are they normally asking you to do? So I've done, uh, I do work for for NGOs sometimes. So there's NGOs that will go out into the field, and for those of you that don't know what an NGO is, it's a non-governmental organization. So it's a government, or it's it's a non-government organization. Basically, they um, they're working on things related to like human inequalities, economic inequalities. So when there's when there's a, a group of people that are struggling with, uh, I mean, really anything, NGOs do all kinds of stuff, but they're kind of NGOs I work with, um, work with rural populations in, in rural Asian countries uh, where there's a where there's a group of people that are struggling with, you know, say there's an outbreak of diabetes or something, or maybe there's a there's a large group of people that people that are undocumented and they should be documented, but you know, it's not their fault. They were there before the lines of the countries were drawn and stuff. So these NGOs will go in and they provide help to these people and they're doing it. They don't make money, right? So they get their funding from, from governments or from um, basically just donations and they go in and they try to do this. So they, they've hired me to go in and capture some of the work that they're doing and some of the people that they're working with. And some of these people, you know, they haven't seen a foreigner or a Westerner before. These are people that are way out in the, uh, in the rural areas of, of Asia and, it is absolutely fascinating to be able to go out there and capture these people's lives and doing it in a way that's meaningful and, and telling their story uh, and being able to speak to them through translators has been an incredibly powerful experience. Um, I was working in Vietnam, rural Vietnam, and some of the people we were, that we were working with hadn't seen a white person since the Vietnam War. And a lot of the people, a lot of the older ladies had lost their husbands in the war, which was a bit of a weird experience. But I think... You know, those kind of gigs are what makes me love this field so much and being able to go out there and, and, and see another part of the world and, and make money at the same time. That's crazy. When did you start traveling? Like, what was your first trip? Well, when I was younger, before before my dad passed, we went on a lot of, a lot of trips kind of all over the states, went to a ton of different states. Um, and then after he died, my mom took us to uh, to Europe for like... A month and we just like went to all these european countries i was like 13 you know so i didn't really understand what it was all about when i was about 20 me and my best friend went to belize and guatemala and it was like crazy you know we we were drinking we weren't 21 yet so we couldn't drink in the states and we just went crazy out there and it was it was a blast and after that the travel bug hit me you know head on and like i couldn't escape it and every time i was in school after that i just i just I kept counting down the days till I could leave the country, and I did. Every time I had a break, I was I was gone. I was in Japan, I was in Europe, um, I was in Thailand, just just kind of going at it by myself and just seeing seeing the world. That's crazy. I love it. And how cool is it? Like even like even just for yourself to be able to look back at your photos and see where you've been, and you know, like and seeing it all documented. Dude, it's crazy. I mean, you guys can go on my Instagram and and look at my most recent pictures. 
and uh, and then kind of scroll down and you'll see some of my more documentary stuff. I don't post so much more of that documentary stuff on my Instagram anymore. It's on my website. Um, but if you scroll down, you'll see some more of my travel photos. And then if you keep going, um, I, went, I went on a trip to Hawaii and to Europe. I didn't want to bring my camera because I was like, I was, I was going through this struggle between being distracted with the camera and not being able to enjoy the scenery. And I think a lot of photographers go through that. You have to find a balance. But then, you know, I couldn't find it. And I was like obsessing about the photo. So I only brought my iPhone. So all those photos are taken on my iPhone like five. Wow. And I, you know, I edited them on my phone, but they're still really good. And, and if you scroll down farther than that, well, you know, the photos, you know, not so great, but. <laughs> That's cool. So I, I, I've noticed you have a pretty big following. You have close to 9,000 followers now. And what's really impressive is you only have 535 posts. So what what are some of your Instagram kind of hacks to grow your following? Yeah, it's blown up in like the past few months since I've been here in Thailand. I've kind of uh, really, like I said before, I honed in on my style. I honed in on the on the stylistic char- characteristics, of the, characteristics of the photos that I really like. You know, kind of a darker scheme, not so heavily saturated, uh, maybe softer focus in the background. I like that look and a lot of other people like that look too. So I think that really helped my Instagram grow from like, I think I've grown by like 400% in the past like three, four months, which is insane. Nice. So some tips that I would give for those trying to trying to boost their Instagrams, um, I would say post once a day okay. and only post tens, only post 10 out of the 10 photos, the best photos you have. Don't just throw it out there. Um, Make sure that you're using targeted hashtags. So a lot of like a lot of other marketing things out there, you don't want to be, you know, hashtag photographer where there's like 15 million posts. Your 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 photo is going to get buried. But if you're if you are shooting coffee and you hashtag something like cafe teller, that's one of the accounts that I follow that do features, right? So it's very targeted. Their photos are are very distinct, and my photos match that style. So when I post there, I'll trend. People will see my photos. People will will link back to my page because they see me when I'm trending and um, I get their likes, I get their follows and then that photo will trend on all the hashtags that I'm using and you'll grow substantially. And That's very smart. So do you, is there like a, a number that you try to avoid? So like coffee might have, you know, 1 million um, hashtags. So nobody's ever going to see that. Yeah. Um, coffee addict might have 150,000. Is that too much though? Is that okay? No, no. I like to hang out around like even like 50,000 to like 1 million. I mean, if you think like the 50,000, oftentimes they're super, super targeted. So like um, when I was in Osaka, Japan, I was using Osaka Cafe, right? The only reason someone's going to be browsing that is if they're looking for cafes in Osaka. So you're no, you know that those people are going to be located in the city. They like coffee and they're probably going to follow you if you're posting photos of you know, cafes in Osaka. So, okay. Makes sense. And do you use any tools to help you manage any of this? Um, Instagram has a really great built-in feature uh, that allows you to, I think if you link it with your Facebook account, you can see your engagement rate and um, kind of all the statistics and how many views it's had and stuff. And um, that's about it. Yeah. There's a, there's some other third-party softwares that you can get online that'll show you like who's unfollowing you and stuff. And if you want to unfollow more people, you can do that as well. Uh, I know like programs such as Influx Social and Instagram are really popular. Um, I have used those in the past. So if you are interested in one of those and you want to talk to me about it, just go ahead and send me a message. Um, there's a lot of great resources out there, but I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to content. And I think that's what a lot of people forget. That makes sense. So I've heard you know some, you know some people that you should be posting you know eight times a day. Mm-hmm. What, what made you decide on just one? Um, I really want to value the content that I post, you know, I can't post eight photos a day because I'll go out, you know, to a shoot, I'll go to a, to a cafe or something like that. And I'll take some photos and, and yeah, they're really good. And I'll post them all on Facebook, but only one of those will be good enough for me to post on, on Instagram. I, I hold myself to very high standards for my Instagram account. Um, I think because you have to, there's a ton of really good artists on there. And I think, you know, if you have a lot of photos and you're producing a lot of content, I think you can post up to four. I think one is the minimum, but I think, I think, Four photos a day is good. If you're doing more than that, I think it kind of starts to spam and you don't want to spam people, right? You want to make sure that each one of your photos is getting full value. But I mean, if you have a ton of photos and you really just have to post them all, then yeah, I mean, you can you can post at a high at a high frequency. But I don't have that. I like to keep it really based on quality. 
Okay. Well, it's definitely working for you. So, you know, thanks for sharing all that. Appreciate it. When you were saying connected to your Facebook account, does that mean that you, I think you have to sign up for um, Instagram for business to be able to get those analytics. Is that what you did? I think so. Yeah. Instagram for business. Have you seen any downsides to signing up for that? Um, no, I think some people will say that they don't like that. You know, it puts your title on your page. So mine will say like photographer and I can't change that, but I don't mind that because I'm a photographer. Okay. But I think, you know, for other people, they're not super into that, but no, I don't, I don't think it's anything's negative about it. Okay. That's cool. I, I wonder like, how do they pick the title? Did you, is that something that, I don't know. That I've was heard... on your Facebook that they brought over or? Yeah. It's like automated or something. I'm not really sure exactly how to do it, but. Okay. That, that's cool. I like it. Um, do you use anything else besides Instagram? Um, I just started using this this app called IM, E-Y-E-E-M. And you can like sell photos on there, but I'm just getting started. I think it's a new platform, so I'm excited to jump on it. I think um, I think the community will respond, respond well to my work. Oh. And so I'm excited to jump on that. Uh, and I post on Facebook and, and my website. I mean, those are kind of like my three, you know, social mediums. Okay. And then have you ever experimented with, with selling photos anywhere? Yeah, I sold, uh, I've sold some prints back at home. I've sold digital files oh. to, to companies that have approached me and be like, hey, like, I really like this. So um, can we buy your photo for you? I'm like, yeah. So I sell it to them. Um, physical prints, I've sold some back in the States, but it's just a it's just a process. I don't, you know, you have to edit the photos for print and I have a lot of other stuff going on. I'm doing shoots, you know, I'm working on my website. So I have other things going on and I can't really deal with that right now. Okay, so. makes sense. So what do you think like your, I don't know, I guess your happy place is like, what, what is your ultimate goal with all of this? I want to be a resource to other people that want to learn photography and I want to shoot um, what I want to shoot. So, I, you know, I really enjoy portraiture. I enjoy weddings. I enjoy these things. Um, but what I enjoy most is, is going out with a model that I get along well with and, and just shooting in the, in the stylistic characteristics that I like to do, that I like to shoot and, um, and making money off that. And I do, you know, brands will approach me and say, we love your style. Can you shoot, you know, our backpack in your style? And I'll, I'll say, sure. But, um, there's a, there's more pressure to provide, you know, for a brand when you're doing it like that to doing like a lookbook or, or a product lifestyle product photography. So I think I see myself shooting and 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 i'm writing about it i love to write you know i have a a master's degree in a writing intensive field i love to create content um i love to be on the main stage and i think that's kind of the the future for me is traveling and taking my style around the world and capturing um different things around the world in my style and and talking about it that's cool and i'm i'm assuming like every single photographer every single artist out there has a different style and I think there's enough room, especially in this day and age, you know, with the internet where people can, you know, really find exactly what they like, that every single style could work. So if someone had the exact opposite of you, instead of having like darker shots, you know, they can be like, I want everything super light, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And there's going to be people that are like, yeah, that's what I like. And they'll follow that person. For sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's room for anything. I mean, there, there's people that do like super abstract photography, you know, really they boost up the clarity and they... And, and they just kind of do weird stuff to the photos. They make weird edits or yeah, really bright light, you know, kind of pastel colors. It doesn't yeah. matter. I mean, if you have a style and it, and it appeals to somebody, they're going to like it. Do you think that a lot of people are afraid to, I mean, maybe not their personal Instagrams, but like, I guess someone who, you know, who wants to be a professional and, and actually make money from this. Do you think that, you know, people try to do like the cookie cutter way or kind of almost copy someone else's style because they're like, that's working. So I got to do that. Yeah, I think a lot of us fall into that trap. And um, when I got here, I, I I met these Thai photographers that were doing some, some really cool stuff. And I was like, damn, you know, I want to be like them. And um, and I, I took some of their stylistic ideas and implemented them into my photos, but I didn't try to copy it 100%. Because if you do that, you're never going to feel satisfied with your work. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're really inspired for something else, I mean, you have to be able to put your spin on something and kind of take all the different things that you like and put it into one photo and experiment. And you're going to, you're going to take terrible photos. It's that's just the process, you know, but keep growing. Okay. I like it. So if someone's just starting out and you know, let's say they, they want to eventually become a child photographer, or have this be like a full-time living, any suggestions you have on things like how to learn what, what's like good starter equipment to get things like that. Yeah, absolutely. The first thing is is buy a, a decent DSLR. I mean, it could be an entry level DSLR, and ditch the ditch the 
the kit lens, the 18 to 55. Get a prime lens. Get a 35 millimeter or a 50 millimeter prime lens. Okay, so let's slow this down for everyone. <laughs> All right, so the kit lens is the one that just comes included with the camera, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And that's typically an 18 to 55 millimeter. So you kind of get a little bit of zoom there. Okay. And why is that one not good? So that's a that's a a kit lens is kind of a jack of all trades. It's not great at anything. Um, and I mean, one of the things that it is good for is like a lot of people, their style is based on their focal length. So they'll shoot, a lot of people shoot really wide angle shots. They get a lot of the background mm-hmm. and that's their style. Well, some people shoot really zoomed in and they like that style better. So I guess one of the things with the kit lens that is good is that it can help you determine what focal length you like to shoot at, how zoomed okay. in you want to be, right? But so somebody could play with that for the first, you know, I don't know, a couple of weeks or so? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I think that's okay. okay. And, and they're not expensive either, but I think you should also look into getting a prime lens. And a prime lens is a fixed focal length lens. Okay. And they're designed to have a much lower f-stop number, okay. aperture number, so they can take basically more artistic photos. They can let in more light. You can get more background bokeh, and they're much sharper. Okay, so those cool photos that people see that have like the the background blurred and the person in focus that is using this lens that you're talking about typically a prime lens a prime typically that's what they call them a fixed focal length so these don't have any zoom at all yes and they're and they're always going to be for up close shots um not necessarily no landscape photographers will use prime lenses but they'll use like a 14 millimeter prime lens whereas a portrait photographer will use an 85 millimeter prime lens right so the the focal length has a different has different effects on the photo. Um, when you're shooting at water water angles, there's slight image distortion, but sometimes that looks really cool, and some people will use that in their photos. Whereas you know, 85 or 100 millimeters, which is really zoomed in, kind of like a telescope, is it holds the true form of the subject, so it's really good for portraiture or pulling things from the background into the frame. Okay. I like I like that. And as far as brands, I know this is a very like sensitive subject. Some people like you know Nikon. Some people like Canon. Yeah. What is your per- personal favorite? Honestly, uh, I shoot Sony because Sony's like killing it with their mirrorless cameras right now. Um, but to be honest, it doesn't matter. There's every brand is great. Uh, Sony is nice because it's it's smaller. It's more it's more compact, and their freaking quality is insane. But you know what? I actually like Canon color better. I like the the color out of the Canon cameras better, as well as the Fuji cameras. I think they have better color. Fuji's awesome. If you're a, a newer photographer, um, you don't need to get a full-frame sensor. Go for a Fuji, man. Those things are sweet. And you can get good lenses for them. The The color and, and, and just the way they work, the speed, they're great cameras. But yeah, it doesn't really matter what you're shooting with. So I know, like, like I'm assuming cameras change. Like, is it every year or every, like, three years? Like, half? Like, if you, had a, if you buy a DSL today... And you buy a good one. When, like, how how many years on average will that still be good before we have to upgrade? Um, the last few years. I mean, some people still shoot with like. I guess it just depends on how high, le- what level you're shooting at, right? So if you're like high level fashion photographer, you got to stay on top of it. But really, a lot of the other stuff you you don't really notice. I mean, if you can take the pictures now with the camera you have now, you can still take those pictures in five years. It's the same camera, right? So if you're if you're happy with your quality you don't have to upgrade cameras got, get upgraded maybe once a year once every few years it's not like a macbook you know where there's a new one coming out all the time but yeah they get upgraded uh quite often and you definitely don't need to be rushed to upgrade okay. not at all would you ever recommend anyone buy a like a secondhand camera yeah yeah why not i mean make sure you're buying a good one i think off the reputable websites it's okay if you buy a like refurbished on amazon or uh, bhphoto.com those are really great but one of the things um I do suggest spending more money on are the lenses because those things last like 20 years. So if you're spending more money on a good lens, lenses have insane amount of, of effects on your photos. If you if, if you have a nice lens, you're going to see it in your photos. And um, so invest in those. So when someone's first starting out, some kind of DSLR, mm-hmm. use a kit lens to figure out if you if you like zoom, you know your focal length. And then the first one people should probably get uh, is some kind of prime lens yes that allows them to do like that that focal blur and yeah, things like that yeah and that uh, sharp focus and then let's say they're traveling they don't want to carry an insane amount of gear is there like one or two lenses that people can say i'm i'm just going to use this yeah. one or two 
Like, I'm, like which ones would those be? I would say like a 35 millimeter is like classic. That's like what our eyes see. Okay. 35 millimeters. That's probably the most classic focal length of all time. So you can get a 35 millimeter prime lens. A lot of you know street photographers back in the day shot with those. But you know there are higher quality zoom lenses, like on a like a 24 to 70 or or a, you know lenses that you do have a wide range of focal lengths, which is nice for travel because if you want to be taking landscape photos. You want to have a wide angle. You want to take portraits. You want to zoom in. So they do have lenses that can zoom a wide, a wide range. So you're going to get a lot of versatility in your shots, but you might not get that artistic appeal that you really, really want. So that's kind of something you sacrifice. You know, versatility versus you know artisticness, I guess. Okay. So, like when you like when you travel, like like every every photographer I see, it feels like they're they're half their luggage is just the camera here. <laughs> like, do you ever feel that way? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I some of my lenses are kind of big. You know, they're they're nice, expensive lenses, and they kind of weigh a little bit. But you know, I I carry I carry three lenses. I carry a thirty-five millimeter, a fifty millimeter, and an eighty-five millimeter, all primes. Okay. I carry them in in a nice little leather bag that I have, and I have my my camera body, and they all fit in like what would be considered like a purse, a man purse. Like it's not that bad. So okay. some of those Canon DSLRs, yeah, those things will weigh you down like crazy, man. But the Sony is really not big. So. Okay. And what Sony do you use right now? The Sony A7R2. Okay. So, and, and you said that you like that because it's a lot lighter or a lot smaller. It's a lot lighter. You know, it's 42 megapixels. It's fast. Um, it's got a lot of good things about it. How much was it? It was uh, 3200 US dollars. <laughs> so this is like the big boy territory here. So this is like the good stuff. Okay. This is the good stuff. If yeah. somebody was on a budget, like what, but they still wanted something, you know, that they can, they can do pro work at. Mm-hmm. Like, what is a like entry level DSR that they can that they can that they, they can use? Um, the Canon Rebel series are great. Okay. Uh, especially if you get a nicer lens, you can certainly shoot pro with those. Um, you can do kind of the Sony uh, A6300, Sony A6500. I shot pro with those for a little while. Fast as hell, faster than my camera. Small, okay. super small, and also shoot awesome 4K video. You can get good lenses for them. You can get, you know, the the lenses that will you can use when you upgrade your camera as well with those cameras. Um, okay, so I, I'm looking right now on uh, at the the Canon EOS Rebel T6 DSLR. Is that kind of something that you're talking about? Yeah, I think as so. Entry That's level, kind of entry level. Okay, so they're only like six hundred bucks, so they're a lot less. What was the biggest difference between this six hundred dollar DSLR and yours? Oh man, um, when you start upgrading a price in the cameras, really. The difference is you'll see them, but they're minimal. I mean, they're better in low light. Maybe they have faster focusing. Um, they might have additional features. They might have an extra SD card slot. It's made for a professional photographer, right? So there's just different things about it that will increase the quality. But really, the most important thing is the lens. Okay. That's going to have the biggest effect on your photo. So let's say someone has a $1,000 budget and they want to get started. They can get a Canon Rebel T6. Mm-hmm. And then what And then what lenses? What lens? Like, is there... Is, is it possible to have just one lens or are you always going to have to have I think at least you, two? I think you're going to need more than one, but you can do one. Yeah, okay. for sure. So which one, do, like what would you recommend for them to start with this specific setup? I would say just go for a 35 millimeter prime. Okay. Freaking, I mean, you're, you're not going to be zooming in, uh-huh. but you know, learn to zoom with your feet. That's also good for a new photographer because they can figure out, you know, they're, they're forced to move. They're forced to change their angles. And a lot of the time that's what you're doing. You're not moving the model, you're moving, mm. right? So... Okay, and then I'm assuming if you if you get if you, if you have that Canon, you have to get a Canon 35 millimeter prime. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sony can use a uh, Sony with an adapter. You can use like any type of lens, mm. but a native lens is going to be a lot better. So. Okay. So I'm I'm trying to look up the price right now for the Canon 35 lens. I see one that's three thousand seven hundred dollars. <laughs> I'm assuming there's there's that's cheaper the, versions. That's that's a high, higher level one. Yeah. So okay, let's. Any idea, kind of off the top of your head, what that, what that would be called? Except I'm looking at 35 millimeter prime lens Canon, and you know this is what sucks about Amazon is they they they're showing all these like off brands, which I'm assuming is is like compatible, but that's not like Young New is Young New yeah. is not a Canon lens. It's like a like a generic that you can that happens to fit. Well, they what they do is they make it so it can be mounted on the Canon Canon body. Some of them are good. Some of them aren't so good. Some of them are good. It's just it's just you know going online and 
there's a lot of forums out there and, and I'll help you too. If you if you have an idea of what you want to shoot, send me an email and I can help you find the right camera for what you're looking for. I'd okay. be happy to do that. You know what's crazy is I actually have n- never heard of the, the term prime before. Really? Yeah. What, what does it actually mean? Um, I don't really know why it's called the prime lens, but it's just a fixed focal length lens basically. So it's just, it doesn't move. You can't zoom, but there's a lot of other things about it that are really nice. Okay. So I'm, I'm I'm on BH BH photo right now. So I see two Canon 35mm prime lenses. One is $1,700 and one's $550. Mm-hmm. To that, me, I cannot tell the difference. So like, like, what's the difference between these two? Well, the really expensive one is a lot bigger. It has a lot more glass in it. So for those of you who can't see watching online or listening online, it's, it's maybe twice the size. And all that glass allows you to handle... You know, shooting into the sun a lot better. It's okay. going to be sharper. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have less image distortion, uh, and then you can also see that the aperture number is 1.4 compared to the cheaper version, which is just f2. Okay. So with the the 1.4 means you can shoot in lower light. Mm-hmm. The the lens gets wider. Um, you can get more background blur. It's going to be faster. Just a generally uh, better lens. But you know what? The 35 f2 is probably still a really great lens so can you do that that focal blur with uh the f2 stop yeah definitely not as not as quite to the degree as the other one but yeah you can you know just scrolling through this i can see how not only expensive of a hobby this get this can get but also how complicated this can get yeah yeah but you know what it's like for me it's it's fun it's my hobby i love doing it and it can be expensive but you know what it's an investment it's a business expense so all of the all those people that are doing amazon fba they're spending money on products, you know, and, and they can't necessarily guarantee their return. And um, it's the same thing with, with photography. But if you're confident in your skills, you know, take the plunge and, and work on the business side and pay it off. Do you, do you happen to have any experience with, like, I'm scrolling through, and I'm just assuming this probably is a crappy lens because it's $92. It looks like it's a knockoff of the, you know, has the same, it looks like it has the same specs. It's 35 millimeters, <laughs> uh, F2 stop. It fits the Canon. Like, any any idea like how bad this would be or like what it's probably all right like it's probably okay i don't know we're just i'm not sure you know some of those lenses can be pretty good there's yeah. lens manufacturers that make cheap lenses but yeah read the reviews go on youtube and look at the look at what they're saying i mean the people go on there and they break them down like crazy and they get super in depth and yeah i can imagine that and you know what's cool about sites like B, uh, bh is Customers can actually upload photos yeah. that they've taken with it. Yeah. See, these are nice photos. We're looking at pretty nice photos here. Like, not bad. Okay. And so do you think that photography is one of those things where, I mean, obviously the, the equipment matters, but do you think the skill of the photographer outweighs oh, the equipment sure. use? sure. Yeah. There's there's videos on YouTube where it's like pro photographer shootout and they're making them shoot with like really shitty old cameras and the photos are great because there's rules that you follow, you know, that, and there's kind of techniques that you follow and I, I have blog posts on on these things as well on my blog so you can go and if you're trying to learn you can check that out okay i like it so daltonstills.com there's a blog um so what like is is there a course that somebody could take that, that you would recommend or like if someone was like brand new and they're like i don't even know what f-stop is like what is the easiest way for them to get that that kind of base knowledge jump on youtube and search photography 101 there's a ton of great resources there and I still turn to YouTube for very technical, professional stuff that I, you know, studio lighting and stuff like that. There's still so much to learn, and it's completely free. I think BH Photo has a video on YouTube, and it's old. But the content is completely relevant to today. You can you can learn the exposure triangle, and you can do learn the basics of photography. And I'm currently writing an ebook as well on mastering the exposure triangle. So the three things that affect the light hitting your sensor and and how it affects your photo and kind of the really, really basic underlining things of photography. I mean, you, there's so many resources online, really. Okay, so. I like it. So for everyone that has a DSLR ready, but you guys are still shooting in auto mode, <laughs> definitely hop on YouTube. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Okay, I like yeah. that. And you know what? For the people listening that you know don't want to be a pro photographer, don't want to carry a DSLR, I mean, because to be honest, like sometimes... I am like I dream about it. I'm like ah oh, you know it'd be fun like this would be something that I would really enjoy and actually every time I'm out with a friend and they put their DSLR on the on the, on the table I always grab it yeah. and I always take 
you know, I always take photos of them. You I, did that when, when we first met. You grabbed yeah. my camera. <laughs> I always do it. And I mean, for two reasons. One is I like playing with it. And yeah. second, I know the photographer normally has never, like, they never have any photos of themselves. Yeah. So, so true. I'm always like, okay, like, you know, let, let me take some of them. Um, so they at least have something, even though I'm usually shooting an auto and yeah, then yeah, yeah. I'll play around. But, um, so for me personally, I don't think I just, I just don't want to carry, like, I don't yeah. want to travel with one, even though I know it'd be way better. Uh, that's why I keep upgrading to the latest iPhone every year, just because the camera gets a little bit better, a little yeah. bit better every time. But what I've noticed is how many people out there that I hand my camera to, to take a photo and I, I'll frame it for them. I'll even like be the, you know, I'll, I'll first make sure I'm not, you know, the sun's not, you know, uh, behind me. So I'm not yeah. just the shadow. So I'll like try to do as much as I can and already and I had it in photo and then they'll take it and it's, terrible and i'm like you had one job and so let's let's do this as like a psa right now like what are some like super basic things that every single person no matter how novice they are should be able to do or consider even with like an an iphone camera or a smartphone camera yeah number one don't shoot into the sun face your subject into the sun and put them in shade if it's a if it's a sunny day because then you get even lighting on their face right so just, I guess, just think about the lighting and how it's going to affect in your photo, right? People have taken photos. They can look at their photos and kind of see how the lighting affects, you know, the model or whatever. The second thing is don't cut off people's faces or their heads. Everyone does that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, or, you know, cut off their feet or something and just their arm or like try to keep them in the frame. Okay. <laughs> and then the third thing is, um, what's, the, what's the third thing? Uh, be cognizant of like what angle you're shooting at. Don't shoot up someone's chin, you know? Nobody wants that. It's not a flattering angle. Like, you know, shoot level with their eyes or even above them. So, you know, move your arms around, move your feet, try to get a different angle, you know? I like it. And then, so in general, should the person be in the center, like, or to the very far, you know, or very far side? Like, what are some recommendations? I think, honestly, like, center is fine for a lot of photos like you don't have to start worrying about the rule of thirds i mean if you want to like if you're if you want to get a photo say you're traveling and there's like you're the taj mahal right and you want to get the taj mahal in the background you don't want to put them right in the middle unless you're standing way back maybe you put them off to the left a little bit in the third third part of the frame and then in the, the the rest of the frame is the taj mahal so you're framing it you're having a good composition and you're still showing the person and the the landmark so f- for those who are trying to visualize that imagine drawing two lines on a photo so then that we have three pieces yeah piece one on the left and the center of that piece will be the person yeah and then the other two pieces will be just the background yeah okay i'm actually writing a blog post on this right now on compositional templates so like framing and how you can frame your your shots better and yeah now i'm curious um like landscape or vertical oh yeah is it is that how you call it landscape or vertical uh yeah landscape or vertical yeah oh, dude, it just depends a lot of my portraits i shoot vertical um and i mean obviously if you're shooting a landscape you're going to shoot in landscape mode you're going to shoot the wide okay yeah but like sometimes portraits you want to get vertical you don't want to get off to the side and you want to get more of their body because you know we're we're vertical creatures um and uh it just depends totally situational okay yeah. so I think one advice I, I'll give to everyone is if somebody, next time someone hands you their camera and asks you to take a photo, think of it as a personal responsibility to take the best photo that you can take, mm-hmm. you know, within a few seconds. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to go out of your way to, to, to make it the best in the yeah. world, but it is a personal responsibility. Someone hands you your camera, like that's a memory that they, they want to have, whether it's a person or an event, you know, maybe it's their anniversary, maybe it's a first date, maybe, it, you know, it, maybe it's a special day where they want to remember that or they're traveling. And it's a place they want to look back on. Mm-hmm. So by you not taking the extra two seconds or using a little bit of brain and taking the best shot you can, you're potentially ruining a moment <laughs> in their life. <laughs> yeah. Take a few photos. You know, move around, take a landscape and take a vertical photo. A great idea because there's no such thing as wasting digital film nowadays. Yeah. You know, and I like, I, so I do exactly that. Every time someone asks me to take a photo of them, uh, I will take like three or four and then I'll flip the camera um, into like into vertical and yeah, I'll, ta- yeah. I'll take one or, you know, I'll take a couple more. And then actually as a kind of a, like a bonus for them, which I think most people, Sometimes it freaks people out when they look at it and they're like, these photos suck. 
But after I'm done taking, um, you know, the, you know, like the cheese, like I don't want to say cheesy, but like the the smiling photo where they're like posing for it. Yeah. I'll like take one or two more of them just like casually talking yeah, or like yeah, yeah. walking away. Because I know that sometimes those photos are way better. Way better. Way better. Yeah. And sometimes they suck. <laughs> yeah. But they can just look in their phone, they can delete it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I like to do too is just to like kind of troll people is I'll like flip the camera and I'll take like a bunch of really weird selfies. <laughs> please, don't, please don't do that. <laughs> I, they always get a kick out of it. I think if you are a good looking white guy in Asia, <laughs> definitely do that. They would love it. Yeah. <laughs> but... I wish that was yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think also like it's every single person you know, listening to this podcast is definitely going to have some kind of decent camera on them now, whether it's on their phone or they're carrying around with it. Uh, it's, it's, it's a bit ironic and funny that um, point and shoot cameras completely died. That market. <laughs> I, I used to have a Canon digital elf and that was like my favorite thing in the world. I had one of those too, man. And it, it's funny that that entire segment is gone. Gone. That's why N- Nikon, they just laid off a bunch of people because they weren't, like they, they were just pushing those consumer level cameras, but the iPhones now have just like, they're way better. Blown out of the market. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had one of the attendees of the Nomad Summit, this guy named James Radcliffe. He had one of those. When we had, uh, he, he had ended up somehow on the same elephant tour that we were on. <laughs> and he had me in his camera to take photos of him. And I'm like, what is this? And it was like, you know, like a, like a kind of digital elf or something. It was like a G7X. It's was definitely it? not G7X. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> it, was okay. like, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> like an, worse than that. An old, <laughs> you know, like pocket size, like consumer camera. Yeah. And I was like taking photos and I'm like, and hopefully they turn out good. But like, you know, maybe it's just the display is not as crisp or whatever it is. But I'm like, wow, this is like, I don't remember these at all. Yeah. Uh, and then he posted an interview with, that he made with uh, David Vu, who's one of the the speakers. And I was like, "Hey, great interview, but why is this only in 48p?" And at first, you know, like I was kind of, you know, I was kind of making fun of him a yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. But what he said to me really, really kind of resonated, and I like I respect the crap out of him for saying this. It's a nice guy. He said, "I knew I could either get a you know 1080p camera or a newer camera." Or I can come to Thailand. And I chose to come oh, to Thailand. Wow. And to me, I was like, you know what? That's respect. That's respect. Yeah, like, for sure. You know, because so many people would, you know, first off, they either don't have the priorities, right? Where they like borrow this crap that they don't really need. Mm-hmm. And then they don't have the freedom to be able to travel because they have no money or because they, you know, are paying off that camera. Yeah. <laughs> they have to work more hours. So big props to James. He was actually, uh, he's the... I think episode 149, if you guys haven't listened to that that episode, but I don't want anyone going out and spending three grand on oh. a camera if that's going to prevent you from coming to Thailand or yeah, traveling sure. Asia. Travel the world. I mean, I traveled before I had a nice camera and, um, you know, I would have appreciated something nicer, but content is king. I mean, some of the most profound pictures of all time were taken on old, old film cameras and they're profound because of what is in the photo, the content, you know, not the stylistic things and, and, and stuff like that. It's it's just what's behind the camera, what's in front of the camera. I like it. So, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show. Appreciate that. Thank you so much, Johnny. If people want to follow you, uh, what are the, the best places? Uh, check me out on Instagram. I'm active on Instagram, um, at Sean Dalt, S-E-A-N-D-A-L-T. Um, and um, also, Facebook is great. If you just want to chat, go ahead and add me on Facebook. Just send me a message, introduce yourself, say you heard me on the podcast or something. Um, and email is great too. And my, my website blog, I post a lot of stuff. I kind of share a lot of stuff there too. So check that out at, uh, daltonstills.com. Very cool. And what are your travel plans in the next couple of months? Um, I'm going to Cambodia next week. Going to do some, uh, some street photography and, uh, just kind of immerse myself in that culture for a little while. Um, go to see him reap, do some landscape stuff. And then I will be, uh, back here for a few months and I'll be going back to Japan for a few gigs, um, later in the year. Um, and Vietnam as well. So very cool. So if you guys ever happen to be in the same city as Sean, uh, while you're traveling somewhere in Asia, hit him up because he does some cool shots. And I think it'd be a good way to to like kind of capture like that city, like that memory, that memory of being in that city. Definitely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. You know, what? In, in fact, 
when we're in this podcast, I'm going to talk to you about taking some shots on me. <laughs> Let's do it, man. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think it'd be nice. I need to, I need to upgrade my Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Sean. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show. And thank all of you guys at home for listening and leaving these awesome five-star reviews of the Travel Like Boss podcast on iTunes. You guys are the reason why we continue to do this. So if you haven't yet, open the iTunes app on your computer or on your Mac. Uh, search for Travel Like Boss podcast. Give it five stars. Leave a review. I'd love to hear from you guys. And also thank you to our podcast sponsor for the week, tripstreak.com, the smarter travel search. So if you guys need to book a flight, go on tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss and you can book your flight there. Thanks again, Sean. And see all of you guys next week. Thank you, John. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.